What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Here we are on episode two, not counting our intros, episode, of course, of Redacted Gentlemen. I am John Falco. I have Chuck Finley here with me as well. What you just heard there was Dream Fast by Mal V again. That is a new song from his new 2020 album, Texture. So we're going to be talking about a really, really interesting topic today. Well, of course, all of our topics are interesting, but we're going to be talking, you know, we, we always like to structure everything like a question. And the question we're trying to answer today for you is, can you trust yourself to make a good decision? And before we even start here, uh, one thing I want to say, when you're listening to this episode, this is more important than, than, than ever. You need to be introspective. I want you looking at yourself. Anything we talk about, any ideas or concerns um, related to the mind or cognitive process, apply them to yourself. What you don't want to do is point at the speaker of your car or your headphones and say, yes, yes, exactly. Those bastards do do that. We don't want to do that. So uh, what else we got, Chuck? So today, uh, since we're going to be talking about whether or not you can trust yourself, one of the things that you can't trust yourself to do is listen to the news. Uh, everybody likes to listen to the news and everybody likes to think that their opinions matter and that the people on the news are either saying something completely contradictory to them and therefore they're idiots or is saying something that they agree with and therefore they're brilliant. And they always love to use this term, unbiased. Every news station out there says we're unbiased. And we're here to talk about how, yes, they are biased. How, in fact, you are biased when you think you're not biased and how everything you do, see, listen to has influenced you in certain ways that you don't even realize. But today, before we get into all of that, we will be using our whiskey review. And today we are drinking the Sexton Single Malt Irish Whiskey. Uh, recommended to us by our good friend Matt Badura. Yes. Cheers to you, Matt. Uh, this, Cheers. This is, I gotta say, John, this is this is something that uh, normally I'm a I'm a Scotch guy, uh, but the Sexton is uh, triple distilled, just like every Irish whiskey. But uh, then it's cured in Spanish sherry casks, and this gives it a very very complex profile. It does. It does. Yeah. You know. I've always been a fan of Irish whiskeys. To me, it's like a, a good in-between um, an American whiskey, which tend to be a little, little harsher, a little more oak forward, um, more vanillins. Um, it's, it's an in-between that and a nice scotch, which can be a little peatier. So, you know, whether it's a nice Irish whiskey, like this really complex and beautiful uh, Sexton we're sipping on today, or, uh, or even, you know, in a dive bar, a nice Jameson. <laughs> but um, it is... Uh, it's, it's this is a great great uh, great whiskey great recommendation by by matt and uh happy to be drinking it cheers exactly cheers all right john so as we're talking today uh you know it just came to mind that uh actually drinking this whiskey we both just exhibited biases and we may have not even thought about it but we did uh for one the bottle is really really cool and that gives you an automatic bias it is because, very cool yeah, yeah. I mean, you look at it and you say, that's a cool looking bottle. Therefore, this must be a great tasting whiskey. If they spent that much time on the bottle, it's got to be good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, those kind of, especially in, in, in food and drink, 
we tend to exhibit uh, confirmation biases when something is is presented with a nice label and if it's a little pricier it just kind of is you know which generally is generally indicative of more higher quality ingredients and whatnot but as we've learned you know if you've ever had a really nice 10 or 15 dollar bottle of wine you know that's not necessarily always the case so but um you know and, and that's that's a good segue into this this whole conversation and you know uh when chuck typed out chuck when you typed out this outline and we all looked at the outline we, we were struggling a little bit in a way to structure this conversation so it'd be interesting for the listeners and what we kind of settled on is what I have generally called, and don't Google this because I don't think it exists, but in my brain, the machine theory. So machine theory being, if you in your life are looking for a desired outcome, whether it's dealing with a difficult person or a relationship, or whether it's trying to make the right decision, a data-driven, proper, correct decision, I always appreciate looking at it like a machine. A machine is an output. So that output today, let's just say, is a good decision, is an educated, correct decision. Because I feel no one wants to make a poor decision. You know, we want to, whether we're motivated to or whether our bias allow it, we want to make that correct data-driven decision. So, but we can't control certain aspects. So we have to look at it separately. One being the input and then the processing of that. Input in today's conversation being... Um, data sources, whether it's news media, whether it's your uncle Steve on Facebook, either way, it's a piece of data that is going into your brain. Um, and, and those have inherent biases. This is where most folks focus on biases. You know, we hear the term fake news a lot. Both folks on the left and the right look at, at news sources and criticize them. You know, I believe just about everyone would agree that there is bias in media. And with a little bit of digging, there's a logical reason for that. Um, just looking at news media, um, one th what we talk about a lot is the consolidation of media sources. So here's, here's a little bit of data just to, to give you an idea. So in 1983, 90% of American media was controlled by 50 companies, which is, is a tremendous amount of media to be controlled by just 50 companies. In 2011, that number was six companies. 2017, five companies control 90% of our media. I'm not saying that's left or right leaning. The point is that that level of consolidation, which you could even go as far as saying is almost an oligopoly, that level of consolidation does not necessarily lend itself to having diverse um, reporting. That is not good for a final proper corrective decision. I, I gotta agree with you there. I really do. I mean, if if we're going from fifty companies down to five, I mean, the decision makers at the top now you only have basically five voices that you're listening to in a room. My real problem with that is not just that we have five sources. I mean, if you go back back into the fifties, there were three stations on TV, right? Three, and that's all you had. The problem is now is that we have these five voices basically giving us data through a hundred different outlets. And so we think we're getting different, different data. We think we're getting something slightly better, slightly different here, slightly different there, but it's those same five voices coming through. And that is, is an inherent bias that is being created 
and it's distracting from being able to find what is objective. Yeah. And many of these media sources, you know, they have other, they're incentivized. They're, they're incentivized uh, in many cases by political preferences. Certain media sources do enjoy, endorse political candidates. Um, so they are going to, whether it's consciously or, you know, subconsciously or unconsciously, will generally lean to support a political party that they endorse or that maybe, maybe if it's not an official endorsement that they simply prefer. Um, and there's other incentives. There's incentive of profit. You know, if it bleeds, it leads the 24 hours news cycle. Um, you know, so you have these non-stories becoming stories, you know, which ultimately just leads to the confusion for the individual. And I'm, I'm with you on that, man, because that 24 hour news cycle, that was a killer. And that, what was hilarious is, do you remember when we went back and we watched, uh, Anchorman 2. I think we even yes. like cut out of work yes. early that day to go see it in the theaters. Uh, <laughs> but that's exactly what that that entire movie was talking about. How all of a sudden we went from trusted and reliable news anchors who would give the day's news at, you know, 6 and 11 every night. But then now we had this 24-hour news cycle and it's all based on media frenzy car chases you know if it bleeds it leads like you said and and that is that has created this very weird amalgamation that we have now where we have people that we think we're supposed to be able to trust but the reality is because they're incentivized for this for profit and political reasons or whatever we don't have this trustworthy news source anymore we're faced with these anchors who just sit there and they just talk and talk about nothing that actually matters they rarely ever get to the facts or the data anymore. yeah yeah i mean they they uh they have a lot of air to fill and um <laughs> you know and and a lot of you know a lot of that air that they're filling and that data they're filling it with um is simply you know it's it's not just is it filler, but it's editorial in nature. It's opinion driven. You can only talk for so long uh, objectively. Yeah, I agree with you there, hundred percent. You can only talk so long objectively. You know, I was I was discussing this uh, in the car the other day with my wife, and my my seven year old said, "Well, what's bias?" So I turned around and I said, "You know, bias is something that you believe, and instead of just looking at the facts." It's your tendency to perceive the story as a fact. And they still didn't understand. So I gave them an example. We're driving down the road and I said, okay, guys, so uh, this road and let's just say A1A, right? So we're driving down A1A and at certain parts of A1A, there are some large trees that overhang portions of the road. And I said, if this was a new story about trees overhanging the road it would be like this it would be very simple today on a1a we have approximately 25 trees stretching over a quarter mile that hang halfway into the road more details on what the city plans to do about that later and that would be the facts you gave here's what the example is hey there's going to be an action or no action taken but instead we have biased news and so let's just take it from the standpoint of an anti-tree person. This, this, this news anchor is anti-tree. And what he says is, trees are invading A1A. We have approximately 30 trees that are 
gaining ground over A1A, and they need to be stopped immediately. <laughs> and there's no facts. All no. you know is that there are trees somewhere, and now you're outraged because how dare these trees invade my area? How dare they? And that's yep. a problem. And that's that's exactly the type of biased media coverage that we're seeing on both ends these days. Absolutely. No, it, it really it really is um, quite impressive now. I mean, to a certain extent, you know, at what point does it get so extreme that it's off-putting even for someone that agrees with it? You know, <laughs> so I, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I and mean, I've personally certainly gotten to that point. You know, I, I, I tend to avoid the, the large media sources. It's just tough to watch on both ends. But we'll talk more about finding good sources later. But real quick, just to jump back into these input sources. So the news media, are that's not your only source of data. There's also Uncle Steve, as I'll call him, right? Posting on Facebook, posting on Instagram. Maybe you agree with Uncle Steve, maybe you don't. But he obviously has some biases as well. One, he has subconscious, what, what I like to call psychological pitfalls, which we'll discuss here in a little bit. But another big one is the power of social dynamic, the want to be part of something. Everyone wants to think they can be, you know, this Rambo individual that's, you know, stoic and marching down the road by, by themselves and we don't need anything. But in reality, being a lone wolf is not what we were designed for. We, we are, we're pack animals and um, because of that, we, we tend to feel what we call groupthink, which means, which is defined as the practice of thinking or making decisions as a group in a way that discourages creativity or individual responsibility. In other words, I am kind of going to agree with the group. Maybe the group loves carrots and I think they're okay. Well, guess what? I'm probably going to like carrots a little bit more just because I want to be part of that social dynamic, which prevents, generally impacts folks and prevents folks from seeing both sides of a story. Or if we're talking about a political discussion, coming to an agreement, this is one of the, the many, many, many things. Chuck, what about other sources? What, what about the Google bubble? But before we go too far here, let's pause for a random sponsored segment. See you in a bit. All right, so the Google bubble. So basically what you were just talking about there, right? You have this social dynamic, this group think, and that's all part of tribalism, right? As, as some leading theories now try to talk about it, how in order to survive, our ancestors had to be part of a tribe. And that leads to this group think. Now we have the technological version of that. And what's the, what a real problem is, is we're starting to do it to ourselves without realizing it. So Google designed you know this really great search engine everybody knows i mean it's literally the verb for for looking something up yes, on the internet it is. it's i'm gonna google that and part of their algorithms that they put in there are were basically designed to make it easier for you to find things if you go into google right now and you put in hamburgers i guarantee you the top five results are going to be hamburgers in your area they're going to be something that's local based and they're going to gra grab that. The algorithm is going to grab your IP. But then it's also going to look at what you've looked up in the past. If you say uh, go to one of John's bars a lot and you, you post from there a lot or you talk about how great it is or if you've looked up bars in your area, breweries, it's probably going to show you not Burger King down the road. 
it's probably going to show you a brew pub that has burgers in the reviews because you've just created this Google bubble and Google really is trying to make your life easier, but it has this unintended side effect to where now, anytime you go to Google something, say political, it's going to be tracking you and it's going to say, okay, well, I know on Facebook, John was looking at, you know, uh, conservation groups uh, for, you know, the, the ocean. So when you go and let's just say you wanted to look up laws pertaining to uh, offshore drilling, let's say from a few years ago, right? That was a big thing, offshore drilling rights. Mm -hmm. So you wanted to look that up. Well, because in the past you Googled things that were in support of conserving the ocean, now your Google results are only going to come up with that and I'm going to call it a left slant. I mean, I, I really, it's kind of centrist. And let's be honest, everybody should be trying to preserve the ocean. Sure. <laughs> in my I, opinion, I in my extremely yeah. biased opinion there, right? Yeah, I agree. Now you're going to get this left slant to all of your search results. In addition to that, because you're talking about this left slant, you're going to see the biased representations of those that disparage the other view which will then reconfirm your bias that you may have not fully formed yet, but now it's reconfirmed in your head. Look, they are, yeah, the whole internet is speaking this way about this one issue. And uh, that that's the real problem with what we call the Google bubble, is you can't break out of seeing these reaffirming facts for your worldview. Yeah, there was an interesting story <laughs> about this, about an AI. There was a Microsoft AI. They fed it Twitter. Oh yeah, that was, that was. Uh, let me see. I think that was 2016. Yeah, oh, Tay. That's right. That's what I mean, Tay. So Microsoft came up with this AI and they, they said, hey, we're going to, um, we're going to introduce this AI on Twitter and we're going to feed it tweets and we're going to see if it can talk and interact with people. Well, in the span of 15 hours, this blank slate AI became <laughs> extremely racist oh, and geez. offensive. Yes, yeah, I, I mean, it was, it was going down saying the most uh, things that, that uh, Caitlyn Jenner isn't a real woman, but she won woman of the year. What is that? And it, it became this super offensive bot so quick, simply because... They exposed this blank slate onto Twitter, and it was trying to actually, and this is kind of scary if you think about it, but this AI was trying to find balance and reason in itself with what it was reading because it had such didactic inputs that it was getting. It was getting both sides of the line, uh, which that also brings us to how if we've got an AI that is trying to really find a way to move forward that is an example of a cognitive dissonance it has sure. these two inconsistent beliefs and it's trying to find a way to reason them out yeah yeah which you know gets into the processing aspect of this right so if we're looking at the machine so 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 we've discussed inputs to this point uh, now let's talk about you let's talk about why you're fake news no no seriously though um, the heart of the issue here is this, because this is really the only one we can control. We could search for different sources. We could do that, but really 
we, we can only control that as which is in our head and those psychological pitfalls. Um, and these, you know, these occur in your subconscious. So it makes it very difficult to control. So, so they're relatively easy to identify if you take a step back and look at it, but you certainly need to be motivated to want to fix these, which you should be if you're listening to this podcast. And just to hit a few of these, biggest is confirmation bias. We've talked about this before. This just means that you, you tend to process information in a way that confirms your prior beliefs. I think the most intriguing, to me, the most intriguing example of this, um, and one that we're at least a, a small bit familiar with, I think just about everyone out there, which is an individual named Andrew Wakefield. In 1998, he did a study, he asked you to study that linked MMR vaccine to autism. So it was eventually in 2010, it was retracted from the medical journal. There was overwhelming evidence that he manipulated data, that he ignored data. He had a confirmation bias. Obviously, it fueled this need to establish a link between autism and, and vaccines. Um, this has been disproven time and time over. But it is still out there. It still affects our community, not just the medical community, but our community in general. And, and why does it continue to affect our community? One, because it was propagated you know, widely back then, but two, because, you know, autism is prevalent. Autism is prevalent. We are humans. We want to find a, a, a reason, cause for this autism. One, to pre prevent it if you're about to have a child, or two, if you if you do have a child that has autism, uh, to find some kind of a solution for it. So th this is a strong, strong case of confirmation bias. Uh, this is an, as an example. Another one is one you just mentioned there, Chuck, which is cognitive dissonance. So this is having two inconsistent beliefs in your brain. So this kind of makes no sense um, when I just describe it like that. But let me give you just one example. Let me ask you two questions. Do you eat meat? Yes. Do you enjoy that meat? Yes. Do you feel guilty when you're eating that meat? Probably not. But if I also ask you, wouldn't it be nice if that animal didn't have to die? If you could hypothetically have that meat, not necessarily lab grown, it's true meat, but that animal didn't necessarily have to die. Um, I don't think anyone listens to this wants animals to die for their meat. So you do have some general soft spot in you for that animal. Well, you know, whether you think it's worth it or not, I'm a meat eater, I certainly do, but I do have a general soft spot. And so there is a little bit of a competing belief there in my brain. And there's many, many examples like this, which- And that is exactly- uh, to bring in to bring in my seven year old again, uh, it's hilarious because when we have uh, Sunday breakfast and she's eating bacon, she out of the blue one day looked at the bacon and said, "Bacon is from pigs, right?" And we said, "Yeah, yeah, bacon's from pigs." And she goes, "Well, sorry, you had to die, pig. But you're delicious," <laughs> and, and ate the bacon. And, and that exists. She had a cognitive dissonance, and that was actually her way of trying to process that data and find the middle ground because that's what every human on the planet wants to do. They want their brain to be in a nice, calm middle ground. Yeah, so what your daughter is experiencing there, and this is a perfect, perfect segue, um, is motivated reasoning, right? She is motivated by the fact that that bacon is delicious. <laughs> and motivated reasoning just is, it's probably the one that most commonly happens, which is we are motivated to reach conclusions, desired conclusions. You know, this happens to 
to a lot of folks that are maybe in a, in a rough relationship and, oh no, it's going to get better because you want it to get better. Say you buy a brand new car and it just keeps breaking down. But you, I mean, you're, you're going to argue till your face is blue that it's not a, oh, it's not a lemon. I just got to fix this AC. I just got to fix this starter. It's not a lemon. Of course, because you spent tens of thousands of dollars probably on that car. So you have motivated reasoning. But above all, and I would love for you to take this one, uh, Chuck, is above all of all my favorites here of psychological pitfalls, backfire effect. Ah, uh, the good old backfire effect. This is actually something that's somewhat new, the way that they're starting to describe it now and look at it, simply because we are being faced with this inundation of data that we're receiving and the way that people are trying to process this data with with a cognitive dissonance. And what it really means is that in the face of contradictory evidence, established beliefs do not change, but actually get stronger. It's wild. And it, it is absolutely amazing. And, you know, the Oatmeal did this really great article on it. Really explains it very well. The Oatmeal is fantastic. But he breaks it down for you. It is very interesting when you examine it how you say it a lot when somebody you disagree with you think how can they possibly think that way well what you're kind of doing there you're having the backfire effect on you instead of trying to objectively look at their opinions they're giving you whatever evidence and you're saying that can't be right because i'm right and how can you think that way uh it's very very dangerous if you don't actually pay attention to it one piece of this when i dug into it that was fascinating to me which is when they look at your brain patterns when someone provides you with contradictory evidence to your established belief the same part of the brain that would light up for lack of better terms that would light up when you're being physically attacked is the same part of the brain that lights up when you're being attacked with contradictory evidence and I just found that absolutely fantastic. So essentially, you're, def you're quote unquote, defending yourself. You don't have to. This is contradictory factual data. You don't have to. You shouldn't defend yourself. But your brain subconsciously is saying, hey, Chuck, strap in, buddy. What's going on? Get your knife. And, and you know, it produces this incredible, incredible, uh, terrible effect. But it produces this in incredibly intriguing effect called the backfire effect. Um, you know, there's been a handful of studies back and forth that have shown maybe there's not too much evidence for the backfire effect. I think anecdotally, which is, is very subjective and it's hard for me to say. You know, and is actually a bias. But exactly. <laughs> but I know that if I'm trying to convince, say Chuck and I are in an argument about something, I'm trying to convince him that uh, sunflower seeds will 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 make your, you know, give you toenail fungus. I'm just making that up, by the way. I love sun, sunflower seeds. Chuck, I'm telling you, it's going to give you toenail fungus. I'm telling you. And then I, I start Googling my very biased sources, probably with a Google search, such as um, how much toenail fungus do you get from sunflower seeds? And then I find two or three sources that say, guess what? It's a, it's false. That feeling you get in your gut where you're like, oh, damn it. He's right. What you should be feeling is, oh, he is right. It's just so hard for us to feel that. Um as, as humans, as humans with strong opinions. Right. And that was something actually to go back to what we were talking about earlier with the, uh, with the tribalism, 
uh, how your brain reacts to that, that, that preconceived notion that you have and trying to protect itself from a new, uh, from a new notion coming in that it all goes way back to an evolution, uh, to an evolutionary thing where we have to protect ourselves. We have to protect our tribe. Therefore, this is how we think. And if you come across something that is trying to change what you call core beliefs, you're going to respond in it pretty much a similar way as to if you were being physically attacked. Yep. And you can see this all over pretty much every online battle that you've ever seen where people are just furiously typing at their keyboards back and forth every Twitter feud. Uh, you, you can see this sort of thing where no matter what evidence somebody will bring, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, they, they will not accept it. They won't, they won't, say hey you know what i didn't think about that before because they are being attacked and they are being attacked in a way that they're responding to just as if they were being punched and that is something that you know as as a species we have to try to deal with yeah yeah you know this is all these are all things that uh we didn't mention it earlier but uh in the intelligence field they do they do train us in critical thinking that is is definitely something that we spend a lot of time on, uh, especially the analysts. And when you're going through all these things that we've mentioned, right, uh, the, the motivated reasoning, the confirmation bias, these are things that an analyst, when they're looking at intelligence coming in, they have to be aware that they are thinking about how they are thinking. And they have to look at things critically and they say, okay, seeing a report here that I'm reading this conversation going on between these, this one bad guy and this guy I don't really know. Are you instantly going to assume that the second guy is a bad guy simply because he's talking to a bad guy? Yeah. That's things you've got to be careful of. And it's something that we receive training for that we try to, and it's hard to apply in everyday life, but we do try to understand how it is that we are thinking about things and how we are applying these biases and whether or not we have any and how to how to overcome them. And you don't need to be an analyst to employ this. Right? I mean, basically paying attention to how you're thinking and how you form opinions, you could almost boil down to the word skepticism, you know, following the data is such an important skill for you to have. It's an incredibly important skill for you to teach for those of you that have kids, to, for you to teach your children. It's a little tough early because you want them to listen whatever you have to say no matter what, but <laughs> certainly in the long run, it, it's benefit. That's one thing, you know, the, the evolutionary advantage of this. I did a lot of digging about, you know, why, do, why are these so common in human brains? Why are these psychological pitfalls and issues so common in human brains? You can't find much. The backfire effect one is fascinating. That surely seems exactly like what you just said. But as far as cognitive dissonance and confirmation bias and, and those, let's call them passive uh, cognitive issues, you know, there's not much data as to the advantage. One, one of the underlying uh, theories is that this is, these are kind of relatively new issues because you figure a caveman walking around, he doesn't have Facebook. He doesn't have a lot of misinformation. In other words, contradictory data. All he has is what he sees. He's uninformed. But he's not necessarily misinformed. So these, you know, these issues or these cognitive pitfalls weren't weren't an issue back then. Then you have objective versus subjective, 
And the indicators, the signifiers that you're going to see are going to be those that emotional language, whether or not they're looking at something objectively. Uh, back to the tree example, are they talking about how many how many trees? Are they giving you data? Are they giving you specifics and then an action or a reaction to that? Or are they simply starting off with a subjective view of it, of how these trees are invading the road and how that's inconveniencing drivers? And that's the kind of thing you want to look for. We've explained to you what your biases are, what other people's biases are, how to watch out for them, how to examine your own thinking. But how do we get better data? How do we how do we go about looking this in the intelligence world is you have to look for these these signifiers when you're listening or reading something. Things like emotional language. Right? These are things that we we watch for and you can see, I mean just turn on any news source what I don't care what it is, just turn one on. And just like the example I gave about the trees, the trees were invading on one side or the trees were just simply there. By saying something like using a word like invading, invading is a very hostile, emotional word. And when we write intelligence assessments, we try to avoid using words like this because we don't want an emotional part to be affecting the logical part of the brain. And so that's one thing you're going to have to look for is how do you find objective news for us? Well, the first thing is to look for emotional language. If you see emotional language, then you know that is not going to be an objective news source. Um, another thing that we've got is when you're reading something, uh, and, and this is how we're taught to write. Um, <laughs> Bottom line up front. Bottom, yeah, yeah, exactly. You got to do the, You got to do the bluff. Bottom line up front. But then we also have a structure, right? You tell them what you're going to tell them, and then you tell them, and then you tell them what you told them. And when you read a headline that draws you in, and that's generally what headlines are designed to do, if you don't have that headline explained to you within the first paragraph, you're never going to see it again. That's going to be news where they're misleading you. They're taking you away from what you are actually there to cover. And you see this all the time. Actually, a big example of it is when Twitter arguments start to devolve. Uh, people tend to ignore the issue they came there to argue about in the first place because, you know, they say, well, well, so-and-so had seven cookies and then instead of discussing the fact that we're, we're here to discuss whether or not these are good cookies or bad cookies, we're discussing whether or not, you know, this guy was justified in eating seven of the cookies. And then somebody else points out, well, he may have had seven, but you know, Bobby Joe over there, she had eight a year ago. We saw her, she ate eight of these cookies a year ago. And now you're discussing things that have absolutely nothing to do with that headline that drew you in in the first place. Yeah. The, what the action and result is, or are they simply talking about emotional feelings or trying to get you to, to feel a certain way? And that is very difficult to get around. Uh, so now we know what we need to know um, to try to fix the processing of the machine, but how can we get better data? How do we get better data? talking about one of the things that we do 
uh, especially in the in the intelligence world, is we as we said before, right? Multiple sources. Yeah, got to have multiple sources. Multiple sources, so important. So what we do is you go outside of your local area. You can certainly grab a headline. If you see a headline on CNN or Fox News and you say, huh, I wonder what that is. So you go to your Google. You're going to get a Google bubble unless you start using things like uh, Boolean language. So let's say those trees again. Instead of saying trees on A1A, I'm going to type in trees around the world. And I'm going to look for evidence outside of it. I'm going to look at British publications. I'm going to look at, at Indian publications. And I'm going to find opinions from around the world with this outside view. You've got to go outside of your immediate area to find objective views sometimes. Uh, a lot of people like to use BBC, but um, I've found that BBC has become biased, uh, especially BBC America. It used to be great way to look at U.S. news from a British perspective. Um, and, and like you said, that could be simply because now we're talking about five people controlling 90% of the news that you see. But there still are small independent voices out there. You just have to learn to find them. And when you find one, report it. Yeah. Go after it, look at it, and ensure that you're going to continue receiving that unbiased news. Yeah. You know, and that's all good and all, but who has time to do that? I mean, <laughs> no, in, in reality, um, from a lot of my friends, when they're like, you know, I, I'm doing my best to get all the sources, you know, I look at CNN and Fox News, I read them both. Everyone will agree that either CNN or Fox News are, or have a inherent bias. Um, if you're a fan of CNN, if you're left-leaning, you're probably going to think Fox News is the big criminal here. If you're right-leaning, you're probably going to think CNN is the big criminal here. I, I, I personally believe both of them are incredibly biased. I stay away from both of them. Rather than look at two biased sources, try to find what Chuck was just talking about there, some, you know, a little bit more objective sources. I have time to do that. Let's have a little fun with this conversation. How do I convince, how do I use my terrible, biased, a faulty mind to convince someone? How do I change people's minds? That, that's, that, that's, that's probably what we all came here to hear, right? So little tongue-in-cheek conversation here, Chuck. How do I change my buddy's mind that just won't listen to my contradictory evidence, my contradictory data? How do I, how do I convince him? What do I do? What do I not do? I'd love to take a second here. I want to hear how you do that. And then I'm going to tell you some tips on how I do that. Now, in general, I know this is a very low success rate, but I'm just intrigued, Chuck. How do you go about doing that? Talking to someone who has this alternate viewpoint, right? I like to come at what I say sideways, right? I'm not going to come straight at them with, if they say, hey, here's a good one for, for my, my son. My son will not eat mint chocolate chip ice cream. I love mint chocolate chip ice cream, but he won't eat it. I'm not going to talk to him and say, you really should try this mint chocolate chip ice cream. It's good. I have to come at it kind of sideways, and I have to look at it and say, you know, you're looking at this ice cream, and I'm eating it, and I'm enjoying it. I'm going to talk about how much I enjoy the ice cream. I'm not going to talk about why you should try it. I'm going to talk about how I'm enjoying it. 
and I'm going to find something that appeals to you about it. Like my son does love chocolate. So I'm going to talk about the aspects of what I am doing that he has commonality with. And a lot of people say, oh, well, you got to try to find common ground. And that's, that is true, but you have to be selective with how you do that. I can't just come out and say, well, we both like ice cream. That's not going to work because his mind is made up that he does not like mint chocolate chip ice cream. So I have to talk to him about the chocolate in the ice cream that he likes and how it may not be so bad to have some of that chocolate with a little bit of mint and how that may complement the flavor. And that is basically how I would cover any topic where I'm trying to convince someone to see my point of view. So I don't just find the common ground. I find very specific circumstances that create a bond. Sure. Something I enjoy, something they enjoy. And when you hit that personal level of creating this shared experience, you can then slowly bring them around to your way of viewing things. Yeah. Call that the quote unquote inception approach, right? Um, and, and that's that's kind of a spinoff uh, on what they've used in sales for many years, which is the yes ladder, right? Folks are much more likely to say no to a big decision if you go directly to, to that question, that decision they need to make versus slowly walking them up to that decision. You like chocolate, right? Yeah, I do like chocolate. You like ice cream, right? Okay. By the time they get to the mint chocolate chip, they love it, right? Um, so there's a couple of things that I like to do when I'm talking to someone uh, and I'm trying to convince them per se um, is, yes, I like to, to pull a shoulder with them. But the other thing I like to do is be calm. You know, it's something I always say was the calmest person in the room is the strongest person in the room. If they're yelling, just say, you know, ag agree with them. Oh, no, I understand. No, I think you're right. You know, don't patronize, but you're, you're right on the money. You know, I, I, I can't fault for that. But have you thought about this? One thing that I struggle with, don't put it on them. That's a good point. But the one thing that I struggle with is X, Y, Z. And these kind of soft approaches where, hey, I'm not on the opposite team. I'm on your team, and we're just trying to hash out our collective beliefs. Very similar to what you're talking about. Um, one caveat, you know, when you're talking to a grown man or woman versus when you're talking to a child, obviously you have a different approach, you know, and it, it always uh, jogs my memory back to, and I was certainly never an interrogator, but uh, I spent a little bit of time in Iraq where I had the opportunity to watch some of our army interrogators, which were fantastic, by the way, um, work some, some folks. And uh, really took away from it was they had a different approach for everyone. If it was a chiseled veteran insurgent, they're not going to go in there and kick, you know, and let's say this interrogator is a 28 year old, 28 year old guy, you know, he, they're not, he's not going to go in there and kick a table and point his figure and, and scream at him. He's going to go in there and just have a conversation with him because he's going to get further than that. If it's a 16, 17 year old, insurgent that let's say you know uh, um, he was caught taking a pop shot at one of our convoys maybe he's going to go in there and kick some tables and try to instill some fear not that you should be kicking tables or instilling fear in people when you're talking about politics please don't but uh, shows that that different you know different strokes for different folks you know having a different approach to it is is really the best way to do it and by all means and we've all done it don't waste your time 
screaming and arguing on Facebook and Instagram. It's just or Twitter. It's just not going to get you anywhere. Time is a perpetual clock ticking down. Your breath and beer or have a whiskey. What else we got, Chuck? But it, we've we've covered everything uh, we're going to uh, to discuss today. Uh, so the last thing is, I guess, before we sign off here, is just to remind you all. Uh, one, thanks for joining us. But remember, ignorance ignorance is a slow death.